Hey everyone, my name's Anushka, and welcome back to the Gen Zine Pod, where we address contemporary issues through the eyes of Gen Z. Today we'll be discussing the future of activism in American sports and the impact that that activism has had on our society and generation since the beginning of the Trump administration. We'll also discuss what the way forward for this activism will look like in new presidency. Will the outpouring of activity recede or will the momentum continue? How will athletes continue their efforts when the when they work for leagues and teams that support anti-progressive causes. Our guest experts on this topic today are Kate Ashkenazi, Arjun Joshi, and Tajwar Kondekar, who are all extremely well-versed in the world of sports. Um, and with that, our guests will introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Kate. Um, I'm a senior at USC studying journalism and documentary. And I'm from Philadelphia. I'm a big Eagles fan, and I'm excited. Hey y'all, my name is Arjun Joshi. I'm a senior at Washington University in St. Louis, majoring in international and area studies with a minor in history. Um, And having grown up in Kansas City, I'm a Chiefs fan. Hey y'all, I'm Tajwar Kandiker. I'm a senior studying international relations at USC. And I'm a lifelong Seahawks fan and also a diehard Laker fan. And with that, can someone just give a brief overview of what athlete activism looked like in the United States pre-Trump? I know there's been a large amount of it on our radar during the Trump administration, which we'll dive into more, but let's just start with a quick background. Yeah, I mean, I guess activism activism by athletes in the U.S. has a long history that in the 20th century, for example, Muhammad Ali literally went to jail for refusing to fight in the Vietnam War. Joe Louis Kurt Schmeling was a black boxer beating a Nazi German boxer. There's a lot of history there as far as more recent stuff. Um, Tajwar as a big Lakers fan, you're a bit, probably a big LeBron fan, so you know LeBron wearing the I Can't Breathe t-shirts, Kobe wearing those shirts as well when Trayvon, and just generally as Trayvon Martin, Philando Castile, Eric, Freddie Gray, as a lot of black men were murdered by police, it was NBA players who were at the forefront of those protests prior to Trump. And for that matter, for my research, uh, WNBA players have been sort of at the forefront for the LGBTQ community partially because a lot of them happen to be part of the community anyway, and they want to bring visibility. Yeah, I, like Arjun mentioned, it's such, it's such a long and complicated history because sports have always had a large element of protest as a part of the reason that they're so relevant to our society for a long time. Starting with Ali, or even before Ali, honestly, but with Ali in the 60s and with, at the Olympics in 1968 with Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Things like that have been a big part of how America views sports and the lens that it provides for looking at society's issues. But coming into more recent times, it's been so much more of an expectation almost of athletes and not just athletes, all the other people in sports. So it's evolved to really a really condensed point that it hasn't been at any point in history, and it kind of coincided with Trump's presidency, I think. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I also think even before anyone you guys have mentioned, Jesse Owens is a big, um, during the Olympics in like literally 1936, I believe, um, took a stand against you know everything that was going on, and that was a really cool moment. And I think moments like that have been, again, as you said, like less of an expectation and more of like these incredible moments and as time has gone on and like people have had the courage to stand up for things that they care about this has become more of an expectation as you said 
And so I think um, a lot of things, like sports is just one of the places where this has happened. Social justice movements have been so much more like the word trendy sounds like kind of crude, but like it is kind of what I would say. And I think in the past it wasn't like trendy. It was when people had like something they really wanted to say. And now like it's a good you're actually praised for it as opposed to like being this outstander, which I think, well, there's issues with it, but there's, <laughs> there's ways that you can be praised for it. And it's just like so much more common now and it used to not be like that. And so I think that's just a really interesting way to look at it. Like Jesse Owens was this like, took a stand in the middle of like no one else doing it. And I thought that was really cool. I agree that a trail has definitely been blazed for a lot of these athletes. And Kate, even going back to what you were saying from it being, um, individual instances whereas now we see like teams taking a stand um I think that was definitely a long hard path but it has now like athletes have such a large platform to stand on so so in recent years what did athlete activism look like during the Trump administration and if you guys wanted to name off some notable moments in progress and how effective those instances were at least speaking on recent history the thing too is like it's the at least in the United States, it's the leagues that have been controlling the athletes. You know, the NFL is famous for it, but even before this decade, the NBA still had a pretty strong "don't ask, don't tell" thing for the WNBA. Um, Sharif Abdur Rahim for the Grizzlies, he sat during the anthem and he basically was unemployable in the league after that. So before there was Kaepernick, Sharif Abdur Rahim had to blaze that trail. I think. Kaepernick was like one of the earliest within the Trump administration and that is such a you know case study for how a lot of it went of course it grew throughout the four years like especially looking at the NBA bubble and things that happened there but um, the Kaepernick protest really highlighted I think a big issue in America is is well understood now of like how divided we were about like patriotism and pride and then like kind of using the flag as something we can criticize and work toward as a love for our country. Like, I love America because I think there's a vision of America that we can create and, like, we can work towards. But there's also, like, the people that kind of just believe that, like, the flag is this, like, pristine, you know, symbol that should never be disrespected. And I think that there's, like, personally, there's a line between that. But I think Kaepernick really highlighted that. And I think Trump's Trump's own policies and, like, the way that he speaks and his like kind of base all feel more lean more towards the like the flag is untouchable pristine and like there's nothing you can do to disrespect it and I think that was a really big part of like highlighting making athletes really nervous to do that because Colin Kaepernick is became unemployable um people do argue that's also because of his athletic talent but I think that like the social justice part was a way bigger factor Um, and I think that is where people really, athletes actually, and like leagues and teams really started to understand how much they are like discouraged from taking a stand. And because of that, I think they took a lot more, they took a stand even more. Like they actually kind of had the opposite effect, like the shut up and dribble moment where like on TV, Laura Ingram said, shut up and dribble about LeBron and like he literally made a TV show called Shut Up and Dribble and just, like, kind of showed her. And I think the idea of, like, Shut Up and Dribble kind of inspired athletes in a weird way to take those stands. And then, like, now it fast forward four years to the bubble where they literally sat out an entire game and, like, forced the league to 
commit to these terms that they wouldn't play otherwise. Like, they found their power in, like, unity. And I think that was really important. Like, the individual athletes versus the team or, like, the group. Especially because I think... I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but I think star power is such a big factor in this. Like, when you're Patrick Mahomes, who's not getting cut, like, you can say... Well, now I I didn't say that. When you're Patrick Mahomes, who's not getting cut, like, you feel like you can take those stands because you know you're not getting cut and you have that job security, as opposed to, like, the second string, like, D lineman who doesn't know if you're going to get cut or not. And... I think that's a really interesting part of it, too. So that unity and, like, supporting the big players to take the vo- take the stand. Um, athletes have just figured out how to do it well, if that makes sense. I think the fact that you brought up Shut Up and Dribble is really important. Because um, Shut Up and Dribble, like, the entirety of that moment, not just that soundbite itself, really, to me, encapsulates what the attitude of a whole portion of the gov- these government, the media, the way that these um, af- these acts of athlete activism have been painted for a lot of the country. Because the idea that athletes should just do their work, do it well, and then not make any noise and not make people uncomfortable is the argument of this entire portion of the population and of Donald Trump's administration of what people expect from athletes. And it's not like, like the idea of shut up and dribble is essentially how the American media treated these protests for most of the last half century. So it's not anything that's new. It's just found a way to come out into the public um, consciousness. Yeah, I think both of you guys have brought up some really awesome points. I think what I would point to is basically in 2014 when Donald Sterling was caught on tape on the hot mic saying some horrifically racist stuff and the league and the players all kind of came together to force him out of the league. I think from there it removed, at least among the NBA, the stigma on speaking out on social justice because they had to remove a racist owner or racist team governor from the league. And then from that point, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant could say, no, we don't want to go to Trump's White House. He said problematic stuff. And before now, athletes obviously had their own political leanings. You know, LeBron supported Hillary Clinton in 16, supported Obama in 2012 and 2008. But once Trump came into office, they, once they spoke out, they started banding together. So I think it's more less of the fact that athletes became political and more of the fact that their politics became a community, so to speak. So Kate mentioning LeBron's shut up and dribble moment, other athletes rallied around him. LeBron's teammates supported him. Others in the league supported him. Others, People in other sports supported him. I think it's the coalescing of a community more than anything that has changed athlete activism in the Trump in the Trump administration. I completely agree. I think that's like a really good point. And again, what I was sort of getting at earlier that why I think it's grown so much and like being anti-Trump, a lot of athletes, of course, there's are Trump supporter athletes, but being anti-Trump creates a community. Like even myself, I felt that like when I know someone, that's just how I believe. And like this, election and people who are pro-Trump that's totally community too like this election was just so divisive that it created like these two communities and I think we saw that within sports and we saw you know these players for example when they had the whole um the bubble and they had their whole protest like that was a bunch of athletes coming together and saying like this is wrong we believe in this strongly this isn't just like 
something that's like, oh, that sucks, but like, whatever. Like, we're all, they're all coming together to like really take a stand. And I think the Trump administration gave people the power in a weird way, or not gave people the power, they inspired people to feel like they had to do something, which is sad. <laughs> but it also like, the silver lining of it almost is that like it really showed people how to work together and like create a strategic approach like I can't breathe t-shirts were great and of course like that like originally before you know um the 2020 like jerseys um those were great message but they didn't there was no like plan like they weren't gonna like go to the NBA and it's like we're not playing this game unless you create voting you know make places voting centers or like there was no goal it was just to like create awareness and I think now that it's so much more and I think honestly LeBron is a big part of that um but I think that's such an interesting part of it like the again the community versus individualized player is all the difference I think and on that note the idea that the players now have figured out how they're able to use their communal power to force the leagues into things to force their teams to force their owners and to force their leagues into things that players never really came together to come up with them. That's kind of what the players' union has become in basketball and in other sports also. Um, but the NBA PA stands out especially because the way that they know and understand the way the league works, the way the CBA works, they're able to get a lot out of the league in a way that you wouldn't expect a team or groups of players to achieve any time in the recent past. And so especially, like, just one example at Orlando that day when that you were talking about when all the players decided to sit out their games and all the players had a meeting in the bubble to discuss these issues and what they wanted to force the league to do. LeBron, like whether he did this on purpose because he knew like what it would look like or because he did it genuinely, I don't know. But LeBron walked out of that meeting after saying that he and the Lakers were willing not to play. And whether or not that was a genuine threat, like the fact he knew that it would get leaked, and by saying that he forced the NBA into this position of oh, oh shit the NBA needs to fold, or the players aren't going to play, and it caused a lot of the changes that the NBA PA was able to get from ownership during that moment. I think that does also point at a flip side on it, unfortunately, because the NBA Players Association, the Players Union, is a very strong one relative to in other leagues because there's just fewer NBA players, so they can demand more from the league. NFL players. The sad thing is, like, the bottom of the lowest rung, the players just trying to break into the league, they're not going to have as much individual power because there's, like, 53 people on a roster. So I think while the NBA is showing how strong the athletes can be, leagues like the MLB and the NFL, where the players' unions are either non-existent or severely undermined by the league office as a whole, I think that showcases that there are limits to how much the players' unions can rally together social justice movements within the league. Yeah, that's sort of what I was getting at earlier. Um, I listened to this conversation with an HBO Real Sports correspondent, John Frankel, and then Chris Conley and Candace Parker. And they talked a lot about, again, like the lower tier players who are like more fearful for their job security. Because at the end of the day, like they, um, they want to take a stand, but a lot of them can't sacrifice, you know, their income. And so I think that's such a big part of it um, is like learning how to support those players and taking a stand or those players kind of being a support system for the players that are more comfortable. Um, the other thing I was thinking about, I can't remember what inspired it now, but um, I always kind of think about and come back to the idea that like 
sports as an industry and as a system from its inception is eerily similar to like the concept of slavery. I know that's a super like strong statement, but um, I've read a lot about it, about how like the players are mainly minority players and the ownership has mainly been white. And throughout that, how there are these are all these parallels about not being able to speak out and, you know, do your job and then go home, like shut up and dribble, as we said. And I think now like players are kind of realizing that this pattern is you know something that they can break through like demanding things from the higher ups and you know of course it's not completely white anymore you know the higher ups but it was and so much of the system is ingrained in that and so I think that's just a really interesting piece of it as well. I agree it's definitely been an intersection between body politics star power community and visibility which is also a whole nother conversation, but um, considering this history of how team owners and government and both governors are in direct opposition to social justice movements, what tactics can athletes take to affect change within that constraint? And I know you guys talked about um, athlete unions a bit, but then you also mentioned how younger players and rookies are unable to have the same platform and voice as more established players. So if you have any, any ways forward, I think the NBA boycott is a really good example of that because I think, as I kind of touched on earlier, a lot of times, like, the LeBron shirt wearing, or players wearing the I Can't Breathe, WNBA and NBA players, was a great message, but they didn't have a specific goal. And in the bubble, when they had this boycott, they met, they created goals and, like, particular items that they needed to be completed or at least committed to in order to start playing again. So they learned how to use their power to like force the hand of the league. And I thought that was really interesting and a really important thing to consider going forward that like players need to understand their value and how they can use that to kind of forward their message. Whether that's, I'm not saying athletes should boycott every single game. I'm just saying like, I think using that power to kind of prep, the, the power dynamic can seem like you know, the ownership is so above the players and, like, they can control them. But at the end of the day, like, these leagues are nothing without the players. And so I think as players realize that more and more, they're using that power to kind of force the hand of leagues and ownership in general. In um, labor history, what the league, what the NBA players did in the bubble would be called a wildcat strike. Basically, it wasn't sanctioned by the Players Association, at least not initially, and that's what brought the league to terms with the players, which actually did bring about some concessions because the NBA, the NBPA, as much as we're hailing it for enabling the players to have platforms, at the end of the day, there is a bottom line for both the owners and the, and the players, you know, they need to make money. That's why the bubble even happened. So I think while this won't be necessarily achievable by the rookies or by the undrafted free agents from any of the sports, Inherently, you need to be a little bit subversive and you need to be willing to break a couple of rules because that's the only way that the owners seem to be willing to come to the table is if there's a severe and genuine risk of losing money. Because the Bucks, when they boycotted that game against the Magic, it was a playoff game. People were losing money there. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about the fact that these things can't aren't all like goody, like nice and clean. You just do the right social justice thing. Like, no, there are rules that need to be broken because that is the only thing that gets the powerful people in charge to have to fold. You 
as the players and as their unions and players, coaches, whoever, if you want to stick it to the men and if you want to genuinely force change that they might not be open to otherwise, you need to break the rules and you need to call the bluffs that all these owners are playing all the time where they threaten what Donald Trump said a couple years ago regarding the whole kneeling situation where he said that they should just take these players off the field if they were to kneel. And this attitude that a lot of owners throughout American sports have shown towards their players for these actions, like they need to be called on their bluffs, that they know that today it's just not possible to treat your players that way and to get away with it. I think something that should be that Taji just mentioned, you know, Trump saying, oh, these players should be taken off the field. The worst case scenario for any sport is replacement players is for a strike or a lockout. Like, and you know, we saw a lockout in 2011, 2012, which led to a shortened season. It is bad for business at all times. So that's really what brings any of these owners to the table, losing business, losing money. And, you know, it, it's hard on the players. I do want to give credit to the NBA players as well in that strike because the Bucks made the decision on their own and it and it ruffled a few feathers. But the players did choose to come together and did choose to reassess how willing they were to stay in the bubble. And I think that does mean something. I think that means players want to make the change. And for that matter, they don't. it's not even just striking. I think we've, we saw over quarantine Malcolm Brogdon and Jalen Brown on in the NBA. They went back to their home, to Atlanta, where they're, from like they're from Georgia to help lead protests. So even if they're not striking or refusing to play, the players still have voices. They can still go back to their communities where what whether you're a superstar like LeBron and Akron or some undrafted free agent, you have sway in in your community that you came from. You exercise they can exercise as much power as they have. And that's really what I think can bring about change in their community. I think Um, you know, as we talked about earlier, being from Philadelphia is a crazy committed and like passionate fan base. And I think because of that, like I personally have always loved Malcolm Jenkins because he's always spoken out. He's always taken a stand. And I think when you live in the city that like Malcolm Jenkins, I've grown up in Philadelphia and like I've watched him make an impact in the community, even in New Orleans where he doesn't play anymore, he still makes an impact. And I think that's really interesting. And at the end of the day, I think um, watching players kind of have that impact in your city makes you more inspired to, like, listen. Because they're not just, like, talking out of their ass. Sorry, can I not say that? They're not just, like, talking, you know, about nothing and just saying this and then going home and sitting in their huge mansion and, like, not doing anything about it. Like, you know that they're doing something and you know that they're educated and they care. And you already have such a connection to that player. Like, I've grown up watching Malcolm Jenkins and, like, that's... you know I've had his jersey forever and like I am more willing to listen to what he says because I love watching him on the field and I'm seeing what he's doing in my city and so because of that like I think people are more receptive to issues like than they would be you know there are people in Philadelphia who might not give a shit about some of the things that he's talking about but because he's Malcolm Jenkins and because they love him as a player like they are willing to at least listen and I think that's such a big part of it is understanding kind of that dynamic of this person is like an idol, a role model, someone who people look up to in the city, whether it's for the athletic talent or not, people look up to them and they follow them obsessively. And because of that, like using that power to just rally people on a more local level, as opposed to national is a really interesting part of it as well that I think players are learning to tap into a little bit more. That's exactly what I wanted to talk about next was the role of sports and culture in society and why it has such an impact. We talked about 
patriotism at the beginning and, you know, speaking on community and representation and everything. And I think, Kate, you said it really well about feeling like you almost have a local hero in um, whatever capacity they speak out on issues for. But I just want to circle back to why there's just such a connection to sports. And it's not just in America, it's all over the world and um, what just what power sports has in our society. Everyone likes an underdog story, right? I mean, at least for international soccer, like for Lionel Messi's story coming from, you know, poverty in Argentina and then becoming maybe one of the greatest players the sport has ever seen. People like that with story. With hormones, too. Sorry, could you read that? <laughs> I said with the hormones, too. Oh, well, that doesn't hurt. But, I mean, people like seeing, you know, someone coming from nothing, you know, a rags-to-riches story. That's what LeBron's story is, too, for that matter. So I think there's something about af- individual athletes that enchants the you know, public imagination. But Kate, you kind of touched on this, at least in, you know, studying politics, the president has something called a bully pulpit, where because he has his position, whether or not he's empowered to speak on something, you're going to listen because that's just his position. And thus, he has that. So I think while the bully pulpit might not be the 100% proper term for some of the athletes, like Dwayne Wade is beloved in Miami, because, you know, rags to riches brought three championships to the city. Miamians, whether they agree with Wade or not, they're going to listen to him because he has that stature, he has that respect. Malcolm Jenkins, you already said he has that stature and respect in the city of Philadelphia. So the bully pulpit that athletes have, I think it's a more recent phenomenon, but it has grown enough where athletes can now speak and people are going to pay attention. I was just thinking about kind of why we feel that connection to players. And I think you know, it's the same thing with a huge film buff and, like, they watch a movie and they have that emotional moment and, like, they love that actor because of it. I think there's nothing like being in a sports game. There's nothing like, you know, sitting on the couch watching football on Sunday and, like, having, you know, five seconds left in the fourth quarter, throwing a Hail Mary. Like, there's nothing like that feeling. And because of that, I think, you know, through your city, as I was touching on earlier you feel such connection like that heightened moment of like excitement and putting all your like passion and like emotions into this one player this one team then like whether they pull it off or not like you're connected to them through that whether you're a bit like I always say that what's so interesting about sports is my family like my brothers and I are huge sports fans my dad's a huge sports fan my mom does not give a shit what happens like if they Eagles win or lose she's just happy to all be watching together and I think that's what's so cool about sports is like she's so connected and she follows Malcolm Jenkins obsessively like it's just the feeling that you get around sports that just like connects you so emotionally like as a sports fan you might not be interested in politics but like that's a place where you can bring those two things together like those two sports has a unique audience where you're so committed and you're so willing to listen because you love these people even if it's a topic you might not be interested in and I think that's what's so interesting the same way that like again like if you love film and you love this actor you're more willing to listen to them or if this actress you know has this amazing role and you're so connected to that role and it speaks to you like you're more willing to listen to them and I think sports is just a really unique place to do that Yeah, I think the communal aspect of sports that you just described there is one of the reasons that it functions so well as a vehicle for these discussions about social issues. Because sports gives people that sense of imagined community, just like what you have when you talk about ideas like nationalism, right? It's it's kind of the same thing, where for this 
essentially imaginary premise that you and these thousands of other people believe in together that you can come together and appreciate this one thing at the same time together and it feels like a communal experience which is why it feels so good to go to a sports game where you do support the same team as 10,000 other people in that building with you and so when you have that kind of a relationship between all these people based on these ideas and these concepts you can introduce greater ideas within like ideas of social justice and stuff where you can kind of pull the group along even if everyone isn't if a lot of people are hesitant because people still generally don't want to leave that web that's been created and so if sports as a whole moves in this direction as was the case with Ali and throughout the 80s and through now with LeBron and all the other athletes you want to talk about like the ship is moving and you have to come with it or you can't be a part of it almost so the, the power that sports has to pull people along that way is unique. The last word I'll say on this question, at least, is like, as a person of color and as someone whose parents are from a different country, sports has been a way, I think, to culturally naturalize my parents, right? Like, my dad is a huge Chiefs fan. He doesn't really care about basketball and baseball, but the Kansas City Chiefs, when we were in Kansas City, were a way for him to bond with his, you know, with our neighbors, with his friends at work. And even now, we're not in Kansas City anymore. Football as a sport, you know, just paying attention to it has become a way where it's something to talk about, you know, just with friends that he meets doing something else. My brother is a huge sports fan on, you know, a couple of different leagues. So that's another thing for him to talk about. It's a way to bring people who it brings people together from different backgrounds, which Taji were just now saying, like whether it's the national teams for Olympics, you know, we love watching Simone Biles, you know, do all the routines that she does, or Michael Phelps be an ungodly performer, you know, when he's swimming. Like, sports, I think, create a sense of national pride, or for people who aren't from this country, it brings them together and makes them feel like they are part of the country, and that Um, matters. This will also be the last thing I say on this point, but I think going off of what Taj said was really interesting about kind of if you, like if you don't like the social justice aspect of sports, like it's become inherently a part of sports. Like commentators used to kind of avoid the topic because they didn't know, you know, they were worried about ratings and they were worried about people being upset if they're, you know, giving time to this. But now it's just the norm. And if you want to be a sports fan, like you have to listen to this stuff. Like it's, they are completely intertwined to the point where you can't just be a sports fan and not listen to what athletes are saying. You know, whether it's the back of the jersey even in college football or, you know, like players wearing warm-up shirts that say something or the commentators talking about who kneeled and why, you know, it's something that's completely unavoidable if you watch sports. And so I think people who might be like, oh, I don't want to listen to this, like flip the channel, like you can't find a channel and not talking about it. It's just inherently part of sports. And so I think that's such a big part of forcing people to kind of listen to things they might not want to listen to because they realize that like, athletes have made it and leagues and like the whole organization like at whatever level these people are making these taking these stands like that has made sports as a whole a part of this and so you can't be a fan without it sports draws such a strong community around it as you guys mentioned and feel pretty warm and fuzzy listening to you guys talk um but in a way now sports have become a a vehicle and a mechanism to just 
project values and to really force people to either be with it or to not um as Taji was saying you're like with the ship or you're not anymore um and so I just want to touch on what you guys can predict or assume this trajectory looks like in a post-Trump world um the work clearly is not anywhere near over and do you think we'll see more involvement from athletes in this social justice sphere or more action-oriented? Um, would the leagues start being behind the athletes? I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I. this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. And I don't, I don't know the answer to it because I think there's two ways that this can go and which way it goes will say a lot about the future of activism in our country, both in sports and outside. Something that I've worried about and been concerned about is there's a part of me that believes that a lot of the historic levels of protest and unified dissent we've seen during the Trump administration, um, and which has been good. It's been good to see people coming together in the name of a cause and to speak out about things that matter to them, and that is what you hope to see all the time. Um, but there's a part of me that worries that a lot of that was the Trump effect of people thinking that there was this extreme wrong in a position of power. And that caused a lot of people to, who normally otherwise might not feel as strongly and who normally otherwise might not feel inclined to come together. We saw people do that and come together and speak out a lot loudly over these four years. With Trump leaving office, I don't know if that level of anger will be there and that sense of unity against a greater threat, which might start to disappear. I don't know if people on as a whole will be as invested in these issues as we should hope that they are. So I think, especially this next year, um, seeing what happens in this country and seeing how athletes and leagues, leagues especially, who have, have been forced to fold to this pressure in this time, they might not have that you're on Trump's side or you're with everyone else issue to deal with anymore. They can try to negotiate a middle position again, like they've kind of held in the past. So it'll be interesting to see how this evolves, because I'm not sure. I completely agree. I think it's going to be really interesting, because I feel like in a way, as you said, getting Trump out of office and the Trump-isms that existed was the goal for a lot of people. Um, and I think now that he's no longer going to be president, it takes away a lot of the fire that people felt, which is sad because just because Trump wasn't reelected doesn't mean the issues that existed don't exist still. And I think we're going to see, as much as I want to be optimistic, we're not going to see that much change within protests and sports because historically, like, these leagues existed long before Trump and these issues existed long before Trump. And while it's grown a lot within the last four years... Like, athlete activism has totally turned a corner, and I am optimistic about athletes feeling inspired to take a stand, but I'm not optimistic about leagues all of a sudden being like, stand up, do whatever you want, and, like, we'll support it. Like, at the end of the day, the league exists the same way it did four years ago. They've just had to make... They've had to adapt for PR purposes. This is, again, really crude, but, like, they've had to adapt for PR purposes. I don't necessarily believe that it's wholeheartedly because they believe that athletes should speak out. I think it's just because they're expected to accept that. And I think now there will be less protests because so much of the protest was about voting and 
things that Trump wasn't really acknowledging. And I think hopefully <laughs> um, Biden will do a better job of that. And so, you know, athletes won't feel the need to take as strong of a stand because they're not these like, I hope they will, but I'm not optimistic that they will take as, feel the need to take as large of a stand. And so leagues will kind of get comfortable back in the routine that existed before Trump. And I'm a little worried about that, but I'm hoping that the level of acceptance by leagues that's existed right now continues. Taj, I'm going to quote your boy, uh, Kobe Bean Bryant, job's not finished. Like, I understand why you guys are a little bit concerned or pessimistic. Like, I, I still, I share that fear too. But I think so much of why I'm optimistic is because what a lot of the athletes are, have been protesting against now is not, it's not just, pardon my French, fuck Donald Trump. That's not at all what it starts and ends at. Remember, all cops are bastards was part of the hashtags that we saw on Twitter. And a lot of what athletes have been fighting against is police brutality. The police are still here. The police are going to continue through the Biden administration. And for that matter, like this is at least me as someone who studies politics, Biden seems to be signaling more of a return to a status quo or what, you know, a lot of what he stood for in the Obama administration, which I don't think that's what athletes want. I don't think that's what black people want. And I think that's why I'm so optimistic, because what they're railing against now is systems, not people. And the Republican Party is still here. Voter suppression is still very much around. And I'm optimistic because, at least among the athletes specifically, so much of the charge has been led by the younger guys, by the next generation. I mentioned Malcolm Brogdon and Jalen Brown, who are both still in their 20s. LeBron James, Chris Paul, and Carmelo Anthony are still around. They're still going to be on the scene, but they've set an example for guys like Jalen and Malcolm and Jason Tatum and in the NFL, it's Patrick Mahomes and Tyron Matthew and, you know, guys who are in their 20s and who still have a lot of time left in the league. And these guys are superstars, too. They're going to set an example for the next generation of draftees. And that's why I'm optimistic, because they're railing against systems. And systems are still here and need to be, you know, reformed or abolished, whatever you believe. And it's the, and it's the young guys who are advocating and who are taking leadership in the community. So I think we still have a long, a long way forward to go, but it's going to keep moving forward. And I'm never going to be like completely settled on this issue, but I have reason to be hopeful. Yeah, I, I do agree. That is the only thing that makes me feel a little more optimistic that they, it wasn't like totally just like anti-Trump, but like anti the issues that existed within his administration. Again, like the NBA boycott had to do with police brutality, not with Trump. And it was partially was Trump's response, but I think that does make me more optimistic that it acknowledged that the issues weren't just him, but they were the systems, as you said. And so I think that's a big part of it. I just hope that the fire still exists. Um, and it should, because the issues still exist, but I'm just hopeful and I'm excited to see what's going to happen and hope that it's a good thing. Yeah, the only... I agree completely, Arjun and Kate. I, I really do think that, like you said, these issues aren't gone. They're not close to being gone. They're still as entrenched as they were, honestly, during Trump's presidency. And it remains to be seen what will be done over the next four years. But I wouldn't be surprised, and neither would any of you, I would imagine, that if nothing really changed in a manner that was significant. Um, but what does worry me is just that the energy that's been formed over four years 
specifically against Trump because Trump and his administration and this whole segment of the media and the American population has been across a really clear divide. In every one of these issues, especially pertaining to sports, it's been the athletes and all the sports leagues being forced to move in one direction with the Trump side on the other. But what happens when there is no other like that to speak to? And I think it'll cost, it'll force people into making more business decisions that they were, you know, less willing to do in a Trump administration. And so that's all I worry about is that energy and that the desire to actually, you know, like we're talking about cause trouble and do something towards the system when the system in place is a little less hostile. I know that this activism and responses came from a particularly charged environment, um, But what does bring me hope is that these future generations and these future athletes are primed to use their platforms for good. And I think that is for people who are involved with sports and people who aren't involved with sports. I think that regardless of whatever community you're in, people are ready to dismantle systems. And Taj, I think you said it well, that sports are a compass for what activism can look like post-Trump. And it's our willingness as a collective to move forward with our agendas or to take a breather and be like, yeah, well, we don't need to worry about that anymore. Well, the reality is everything still exists as it did during Trump's presidency. Um, And I mean, I don't know. I hope that activism continues in sports, in culture, and just more and more becomes um, a norm for everyone to take a stand, but only time will tell. Um, I just wanted to thank you guys so much for coming to this episode and sharing your perspectives and your knowledge. I sure learned a lot, and I hope to everyone who's listening that you did as well. Um, And stay tuned for whatever we have coming next. Thanks, guys.